Hello, Mech Warriors, and welcome to the Mech Bay, where we fix your mech and fix your game. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mech Bay Podcast, your number one source for everything casual up to competitive tabletop Battletech content. Today, me and Dustin talk with Denim Hardman, part of the Catalyst demo team, about making the most of your shooting phase, picking the right weapon for the job, and doing the maximum damage. He also brings us a 3025 mercenary lance for us to discuss and review. But first, I'd like to give a couple shout-outs. From Zachary Gortler, telling us we should have named the last episode Dictating the Engagement. Too right, Zach. Too right. And second, to Phil Young, who thankfully let us know we had some technical issues on our Facebook page. We strive to bring the highest quality content, so thank you very much, Phil, for letting us know. I'm your host, Josh, and today we have Dustin back in the hot seat. What's up? And our special guest host today is Denim. Hey. Denim, can you introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. Uh, My name is Denim Hardman. Uh, I am an old school Battletech player. Like, I got started with this back in the late 80s. I remember buying my first uh, box set, which was the second edition, which was the first one where they didn't call it Battle Droids. So it was the first one that was actually called Battletech. And I bought that, and I brought that with me everywhere. I um, I spent a year in, in Tasmania, Australia, brought it with me across the seas. It was like one of my one carry-on. Um, but I didn't really have anyone to play with regularly, except my brothers, who were both quite a bit younger. So it, it was difficult. Uh, so once I got to college, though, I found a lot of people to play regular games with, and that was fantastic. So I've been playing the board game for 30 plus years. Um, the video games, though, like I started with uh, with MechWarrior 1, um, and I, I played all of them. MechWarrior 1, 2, you know, Ghost Bear, 3, 4, 5, uh, MWO, all that stuff. But uh, then then was like 20 years or so of me not getting many games in at all. Um, and I was upset because, you know, I like, I like to play this game. Um, so I heard about the CDT, the catalyst demo team, and I joined up there in an attempt to get more local interest in the games. So my, my local hobby shop was, was, uh, in Cary and that was hangar 18 hobbies. They didn't have a CDT member at the time. So I asked uh, the guy who, who runs the shop, Brian, if you mind, if I did that. And he's like, yeah, sure. So this was like two and a half Two and a half years ago, I think, and my my first uh, my first mission I had set up there, I was expecting nobody would know this game. So everything that I had planned was just um, bringing in new players. You know, here here's how this game works. You know, cool game. Why don't you come over here, check it out, see what it is? And the first person who walked in was Dustin, and he's like, "Hi, I've memorized everything." So <laughs> I'm like, so sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> So right from the beginning, it was just like, oh, I have to redo all the missions that I've been thinking of doing for this, guys, because, you know. Well, it was, you know, two of the three people who were playing at the time found each other. So, you know. (laughs) Well, it was was you. And then Kurt came in, um, who I believe was on last week, last week's episode. And uh, um, your brother, Dustin. uh, Yes, and and a few others. but, But everybody had played. So... Um, you know, I ended up like setting up two tables, one for me and everybody who knew it. And then I had my kids set up the, the beginner table 
for all the all the brand new players who had no idea what was going on. And, and that worked out really well. But yeah, so I guess in a nutshell, I've been playing this game for a long time. Would you say that you taught Dustin or? Oh, no, 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 no. Dustin had played before he saw me. He had just like in my role as a CDT member and playing with my brothers and and teaching a lot of people the the game. um, I, I go all over a lot of the same information over and over and over again. But that doesn't include memorizing tables. It includes showing people, well, here, look at this table and, and see where this, you know, this is what you roll on for this, this is what you roll on for that. But I hadn't memorized like all the location hits. You know, what, what does a, what does a nine do left? Like, I know that one. All right. There, there are some that I know. <laughs> you're, but, uh, you're the guide, essentially. You, right, right. You direct I, them to the knowledge. I know where to find all the information. And if you need a rules uh, question, you know, if I don't know it already, I can find it really fast. <laughs> um, but, but Dustin just had everything memorized. You could tell him, you know, what's this mech got? And as long as it was like, you know, before like the 3060s, as far as I know, Dustin, you've got them all memorized. If, if that's not true, then maybe I don't know. It, it would be a fun. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> fun little game, but I, I was impressed. Just <laughs> I like to play the game, so through volume of games, I've learned some things. Not really how to be a better Valtech player, but you know. but that's why you're here. That's, that's right. That's why we're here. So yeah, that's my history with the game. Um, I just I just love it. Would you consider yourself an old grognard or? Oh, I, I, I don't think I would. I, I think that, um, ah, how best to describe my style. Um, I, I've played with just so many different players who, who have so many different styles. Um, I, I think, I think my rule is as long as you are having fun, then you can find a group of players who play the way you play. Uh, as a CDT member, I have to play a specific way if I am playing in an official capacity. Like, like I have to use a certain set of rules. I have to talk about things a certain way. Um, uh, I'm not allowed to use other, um, alternate rules but if i'm playing at home like with my brothers all that all that is thrown out the window so so you're limited by the technology of your time essentially i I am limited (laughs) by the players who who i am with yeah yes but no it sounds like you have a great group and a great community to teach and guide Oh man, I cannot wait for these stores to open back up again. I have so many things planned. Oh. The the mission series that 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 is out. I could talk about that later, but the mission series is so good, and I'm very excited about bringing that back. I think we all were. I think we all got one of those campaign games in before everything shut down. And yes, one. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Uh, just remind me later. I've got I got some things to say about that. Denim, thank you for introducing yourself. Hey, no problem. Why don't you kick off and say, have you worked on Hobby Progress? Worked on, yes. Progress, not so much. Um, I I got a 3D printer last year, and so I've been printing out terrain and dropships. I've got this great idea for a a dropship diorama that I'm making. Um, Printed and primed, painted, no. Uh, I have have, uh, one of the Grayson Carlisle... Marauders that came with the Kickstarter. 
I painted that, hated it, totally stripped it. So I'm actually less painting than, than when I started. Um, but I've also been printing for things like Gaslands and, of course, Warhammer, because we know this is really a Warhammer podcast <laughs> in secret. If you peel back the wallpaper, it's just <laughs> Warhammer. It's just Warhammer with Battletech on top. But I, I would say, I would say, unlike Dustin, 80 plus percent of all of my printing and painting has been Battletech related recently, with uh, Gaslands probably being a close second. That's better than a lot of people right now, but there's no pressure. There's no pressure. Yeah, no. All right, Dustin, what about you? What have you gotten done lately? Well, I was embarrassed of talking exclusively about painting Warhammer stuff, so I primed up some of my Kickstarter miniatures. I Yeah, we had a decent weather window the other day. I've been thinking about where to put them as far as units or if I want to start up some new color schemes from the Battletech universe in canon. Uh, I also finished up my Riptide and started painting some stealth suits. So, hey, that's what I've been up to. yeah, I know. For me, I have finished painting five aberrants for my Gene Stealer cult for Warhammer. A my finished up my Abominant, the HQ for my Gene Stealer cult, and I've put basing texture on ten bases, and that is it. But I did accept my first commission of 2021, so I'm kind of happy about that. Nice. Fantastic. What are you painting up? Uh, finishing up a guy's Death Guard character. So I'd already done essentially all of his elites and Terminators, and now I'm finishing up the rest of his characters and a Dreadnought for him. It's nice when your hobby makes hobby money. I take the Warhammer to get me more battle tech, essentially. Exactly. That's right. Those Ares aren't going to buy themselves, boys. That's right. So... We got a little bit, little bit more BattleTech hobby progress in this week, so nobody can send us hate mail for that. Hey, um, I got some, I got some playtime in though. Whoa, talk whoa, about whoa. It, please. I know, right? Well, I mean, virtual, of course, unfortunately, but uh, that's I safe. Re- that's safe though. I recently attended uh, the Catalyst uh, virtual con. Normally, we would get together at Gen Con and talk about like what's coming up for the next year and get some some good playtime in. Um, and we did. We got a lot of uh, games on Mega Mech and Tabletop Simulator. Now, I also play on Roll20, uh, but I normally play on Roll20 with my brothers. Um, you know, I've got uh, I've got friends and family who live in, like, Florida and Chicago. Um, and when we can, we get together on Roll20, because I, I normally do a lot of D&D on there, but I've converted it to, uh, to Battletech, mostly for the role-playing games, like uh, Mech Warrior, or like uh, A Time of War, or Mech Warrior Destiny. Ooh, time of war. Yeah. So I've uh I've I've had a campaign that we've been running off and on for twenty something years. And um and it's pretty much been real time. So their characters are literally twenty years older than when we started. Well the ones that survived. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've been having a lot of fun with that. So you but, guys um, started back in like the Mech Warrior two. Oh Mech Warrior, yeah, actually, uh, Mech Warrior one I bought, but we never played any games in that until Mech Warrior two came out, and then I, I began to to actually play with our campaign then. And you guys do use a, a time of war these days. We do, yes. Nice. Yes, but uh, I played more Mega Mech um, last month than I ever have in my entire life. So I learned a tremendous amount about how the innards of the game work because apparently some of the people who are catalyst team members also program Megamech. And so they're like, oh, maybe you guys don't know this, or maybe this isn't well-documented enough. Write that so, down. Write that down. Oh, I, I not only did I write it down, I took videos that I have permission to uh, to share. So 
nice. I, I have some good stuff for anyone uh, really wanting to learn Mega Mech, the ins and outs. Yeah, we won't grill you too hard about that, but do you have a favorite moment from any of these Mega Mech battles? Oh, man. Uh, there were a couple times, because we got to play uh, Masters of Minions with, with the, um, the, the writers uh, of the whole series. Ah, the, the name drops. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I was, I was playing against Coleman. And we were doing a uh, uh, man. I have to go back and and look at the look at the vods to to see what mechs were playing. I was in the Eller. No, I'm sorry, I was in the Adder. But uh, so I was just on the fringes, firing off the the PPCs. Um, but somebody ran in there and, of course, tried to DFA, and it was going to be beautiful. But as always, needed a nine, rolled an eight. Uh, horrible explosion, fireworks. Um, but worth it. it. It was worth it just just to scare Coleman that much. <laughs> Somebody did not listen to our last episode where we advised <laughs> against death from above. Every time, always charge people. Always charge or push. That does sound awesome. Yeah. So that's you know I played I played quite a bit more than I have in months. It was great and it got me really excited about playing again. So hopefully I'll get to get some more games in soon. Soon. We all we all have our fingers crossed for that inevitable holy day. Uh, yes, we do. I have so many three D printed buildings painted and ready to go for that. Have you been uh, printing Thunderhead stuff? Oh yes, yeah. I um I watch him on Twitch, so I get to see a bit of a sneak peek at some of the buildings that he's coming out with, and uh, and he never never disappoints. Uh, he is a really nice guy. Thunderhead Studios is one man. And uh, and he is he is a fantastic guy. I essentially used his color scheme for his Comstar to paint all of mine, and I've never had any models look prettier. It is beautiful. In other news, is I see that we got collectors' novels here. I don't know anything about this, so they are the fancy looking. What is it? Leather bound, if yes. I remember correctly. Yeah. Leather bound embossed look beautiful. I already own all those books, original copies. So I, I'm not sure I will be picking up any of those. But man, if I didn't have them already, I would. They're beautiful. So is this like the hits, like the Grayson? Yes. You know, and the yes. Warrior trilogy. Okay, cool. I, I believe that of the six that they're doing right now, I think it's those two trilogies. I could be wrong. Don't don't quote me on that. Nope, I'm looking at the picture. It's like Lethal Heritage, Blood Legacy, and Lost Destiny, and then Way of the Clans. Those are like the backbone trilogies of yes, you know, the old old dudes like us. Well, they yeah. they are doing uh, audiobook versions of uh, should be all of those eventually, but right now they're starting with the Gray Death Legion trilogy. Um, Trent Sparks is uh, narrating them, and he does a fantastic job. He did uh, um, the the most recent two BattleTech audiobook, uh, I believe. I, I just talked to you, Dustin. Which which ones did I say those were? Forever Faithful and Embers of War. Oh, Embers of War. Okay. Uh, I'm personally. It seems there's chatter that the Wave One Lance packs will be coming to retail soon, late February, maybe? Question mark. So that's a little bit of news. I know those got delayed a little bit, but yes. But I, I believe so. Brian is is uh, been talking to them, so so we will. When we know, we will let people know uh, when they hit um, Hangar 18 Hobbies. Oh, nice. I'd love to pick up an extra set to like hide in the attic so my wife never sees them. <laughs> really, the only other thing right now is a bunch of reprints of 
the Battletech manuals. I think we have Total Warfare, TAC Ops, Advanced Units, and Advanced Rules, the Battletech manual. Yeah, I just I just picked up the the split out where they took the uh, uh, tactical operations and split it out to two books, and I just grabbed those. Have you been able to dig through them yet? Uh, yeah, I, I flipped through them, and it's the same information that's in that's that was in the previous book, just split up nicely. I really like how they split it up. Did they kind of cut the book in half, or did they kind of reorganize things into the respective books? Um, I did not look at them side by side. But it, uh, it it looks slightly reorganized. Uh, I would say it looks more like the um, the Battletech manual, Battle Mech manual. That's always the, good. The layout. I, I think they're they're trying to go with that layout for for all future products to make it you know to make it fit. No, I mean coming from Warhammer, it's definitely better to have a nice, concise, single rule book rather than one giant hunking brick of a rules. Yes. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get into the meat of our segment today, which is weapons in the shooting phase, or better yet, weapons online. Today's segment is brought to you by Kong Interstellar. Whether you're looking for an Aust Scout for you, an Aust War for the whole family, or just a Harvester Ant for the farm, we guarantee you'll find the right mech at Kong Interstellar. Come see our new showrooms on Loxley in the Lyran Commonwealth or Connaught in the Free Worlds League today. All right, and we're back. Okay, so now that you have mechs on the table and you've made contact with the enemy, it's time to hit them with everything you have. But what exactly do you have? So in Battletech, we have essentially three basic types of weapons. We have energy weapons, ballistic weapons, and missile weapons. Yeah, so energy weapons are high heat, decent damage and range, and low tonnage. Uh, This makes energy weapons great for light mechs. And they're also, energy mechs are typically pretty easy on the critical slots, too, if you're into building mechs. Uh, so, yeah, that basically energy weapons trade heat for weight. For ballistic weapons, these are your big artillery, everything down to your little machine guns, essentially. These either take up way too much space in your mech and way too much tonnage, but they do put out good damage at good ranges for almost negligible heat. Their primary issue, though, is the ammunition. The ammunition they carry is actually explosive. So if you get damaged enough, there is a chance that the ammunition could explode and destroy either the part of your mech that it's in or your entire mech if there's enough ammunition left. Still, ballistic weapons are a good fallback for a main gun or for short range. Uh, As any good Robotech fan would know, missiles are where it's at. When a cloud of missiles comes bursting out, you know you know you're under fire. Uh, benefits to missile weapons, uh, specifically long range whip missiles, are range. You hit them before they can hit you. Also, ammo types for both short and long range missiles. You can have a variety of different uh, missile types to fit whatever scenario you happen to be running at the time. Um, with the clouds of missiles, you get them broken down into smaller, discrete groups when they hit. Therefore, you also get more chances to crit. So you may not be hitting one location super heavily, but with it being spread around, you have more chances for those for those lucky crits uh, to hit them, to blow them up when they're really far away before they get close. Um, I would say some of the downsides to them are the fact that they are ammo-based. So if you're firing every turn, you're going to probably run out before the enemy's dead 
or they're going to close on you and potentially get an ammo crit before you're out. And second, you it is that sandpaper effect uh, where you might be hitting a mech a lot, but you're spreading the damage so much that you're not getting any kill shots. No, that sounds perfect. For me personally, out of all those three, I have to go with that the medium laser is my personal favorite of them all. It has good range. It's a 369, which is for intro tech, the middle bracket. So it can almost hit anything that's not completely out of the field. It's got good damage of five. So it's always going to have some effect. It can either blow an entire light mech's arm or leg off, or it can still do damage to a heavier assault and possibly get something lucky. But its main thing is its heat of three. If you stack plenty of the medium lasers, you're always going to be getting a net positive of damage range for what heat you're using. They are my go-to, and I love using them on mechs like the Black Knights, Grasshoppers. Like They really just do all the work for me. Now, Josh, you're only saying that because you can math. <laughs> I can count in five, and I can count in three, and that's good enough for me. Yes, I, I would agree that mathematically speaking, uh, very, very few weapons can come close to the efficiency of a medium laser. The medium laser is a very good weapon, um, even if some would say it's boring, right, Dustin? Yeah, uh, especially in the you know the intro tech. You, there's only so much we got to use. Uh, medium lasers are great. I like them when they're kind of sprinkled on mechs uh, to kind of take up that last bit of tonnage and give you that punch that you need in the shorter engagement ranges. Um, but I find, you know, the Hunchback 4P is a great mech because it's just, you know, armed to the teeth with medium lasers, but it's also kind of boring to me because you, you kind of get into that, you know, six hex range and just start blasting. Y'all hate on the medium laser, but for me, it's just the fact that you can have like more than four of the same weapon all firing at once. It's just aesthetically pleasing in my mind to think that, all right, I'm only going to hit with some of these, but I'm almost always going to do something. Like statistically, I have enough medium lasers to at least hit and make me feel good and make the good chemicals in my brain go off. As the owner of, what, three, four Black Knights? I would say you're qualified just to talk about it. <laughs> now, Dustin, you, you did say that intro tech, you know, you don't have a lot of options. Do you realize when I started playing this game, there were only nine weapons? Whoa. Like, period. There were nine. Uh, there was the small, medium, and large laser. There was the PPC. There was the autocannon. There was just one. It did five points of damage. It did five points, but it's called the autocannon, <laughs> machine gun, and flamer. And then you had LRMs and SRMs. So I guess if you split the LRMs and SRMs out into their packs, you know, it's a little bit more. But um, but yeah, that was it. Nine different weapons. So the medium laser was was the cornerstone. You know, the most efficient mechs you could have were one or two PPCs and then the rest just medium lasers. Wow. So do you have a... Josh, you went over your favorite weapon. Do you kind of have an off-the-top-of-your-head favorite weapon, Denim? Me? I... I mean, we'll narrow it down. How about in, your favorite intro tech? Yeah, I, I would say that I I really like the PPC. Uh, even though my favorite mech doesn't have one um, in its default config, I, I like the PPC. Um, but I also like the AC-10, even though that didn't exist when I, when I first started playing. I'd say those are my two favorites. 
Um, any I mean, particular reasons why you like those two? I, I like I like the thought of of a man made bolt of lightning hitting something really hard. I've been I've been pretty close to a lightning strike, Whoa. and when when that hit nearby, just the the feeling, the tingling that was all over me, and I'm like, a warhammer does this twice. You know, this That's awesome. this coming out of a mech, like hitting something. I can see why a PPC is such a vicious weapon. And whenever I'm playing a game, if I fire a PPC, I just think of that moment when I had a you know that that close call with the lightning bolt, and I'm like, yes, that's what I want to hit someone with. And then the auto cannon is just you know, it's a giant cannon. It's a it's it's the Abrams gun on a mech, and and I like that. How can you not love that? I know the big booms. What about you, Dustin? I'm a silly man and a gambler, so I like the AC2. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you knew it would happen eventually. Uh, so the AC2 is the best, in intro tech, has the best range. I think you're hitting in the short range bracket at 8 hexes out, and then your medium range bracket 16 hexes. So people are firing LRMs at you in medium range, and you're still you know, returning fire with these AC2s. They're bad as far as their damage goes, especially for the weight. Uh, the nice thing is for AC2s that you typically only need a ton of ammo. And as far as I see it, the more frequently I'm hitting the enemy, the more frequently I will roll that 12 or that 2. And anybody who's played a number of Battletech games, you know, we all have those anecdotes. Like I, you know, blew up that catapult or, you know, X-Mech with an ammo in the torso with my AC2 from across the field with the golden BB. So, Dustin, on that note, uh-huh. um, you do math, right? <laughs> like, you know, you know math. Uh, I know math, but I do not do math. <laughs> but, but you understand that, that uh, you know, hit percentages. Oh, yeah. So a, a seven is slightly better than 50% to hit. Yes. Uh, and eight is, is, you know, slightly worse than that. Mm-hmm. Why, why wouldn't you pick three LRM5s over an AC2, you're firing three times. I mean, sure, okay, I agree. At at extreme range, the AC2 has like has like three hexes more at the longest range. But but once you've taken a step forward, what, why wouldn't three LRM5s be better than an AC2 for the same weight? So it's difficult to find a mech. So I'm kind of a cannon mech schnob. Um, I I I personally. This is just me. I kind of refuse to run anything that's not canon. And it's difficult to find mechs that are packed to the gills with, uh, you know, packs of LRM5s. Um, it's an aesthetic thing. You know, like you like the piece, the PPC, the thought of the lightning. I like the the idea of sniping your enemy with the, the little cannons that might just blow the enemy mech up. Hey, Dustin. Yes. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> that's right. I guess typically I find mechs that run AC2s that I just like more aesthetically. Either I like the mini, like, you know, the BJ1 is one of my favorite AC2 platforms because uh, it packs that punch at close range too. It's got four of everybody's favorite gun, the medium laser, and a 464 makes it surprisingly mobile. Uh, and those AC2s to just land hits and roll dice as the enemy closes with you. All right. I was prepared for all sorts of logic attacks, and and uh, (laughs) but I would have to say that that um, if you're going to say aesthetically you just like them better, I I will accept that as an answer. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't. 
I don't play with a bunch of reason. I play with feelings most of the time. I want to I want to feel good when I play BattleTech, whether or not I'm winning or losing. So I bring stuff to the table that makes those chemicals happen. And AC2 is just one of those things. Cool. If I'm thinking correctly, you can called shot a AC2, but cannot called shot a LRM5. Is that correct? If you're shooting at something that's shut down across the field, yes. Exactly. So AC2 does have one one mathematical advantage in my book. <laughs> you can snipe an AC2, but you can just get lucky with an LRM5. That's true. All right. All right. We would like to dedicate this part of the segment to the special mention today, which is the Flamer, a weapon that I've literally, in my two plus years of playing tabletop Battletech, have never hit a mech with. But we would like to talk about it here. You're a bad flamer. I wish you were better, but you're well, bad. Uh, Battle Mech Manual does have an optional rule that I really, really like um, when it comes to to the flamer, and that's you don't have to declare if it's going to do heat or damage. It just does both whenever it hits, and that makes the flamer. I was going to say much better weapon. That makes the flamer a better weapon. It, it makes it palatable, and yeah. it needs to be the official rule. Change my mind. Oh, no, no, I'm I'm not going to. It is one of those, remember I said as a CDT member, I, I had to run certain rules. Um, that is one of those rules that I am allowed and encouraged to, to uh, have at my table. I just have to make sure everybody knows that first, and I always do. I say flamers do heat and damage. As an audible, I have played some combined arms games, and the flamer is, you know, genocide for the, for the, the troops. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's bad. I will say I did wish I had either a machine gun or a flamer in that first campaign day, me and you did, Denim. I will do a flamer over a machine gun every day. 100 rounds, 200 rounds of ammo, it's just too much. (laughs) Or it's not enough if you're doing extended campaigns. (laughs) Or it's not enough, yes. Now that we've gone over weapons, we'll do the ranges. So you've got short, which we all know is plus zero. Medium, which is plus two, and long, which is plus four. For me personally, I am going to always try to go to that edge of short, but I'm going to stay in medium range. And that's just because almost all of my weapons are going to be that plus or one, plus or minus one hex into a short or long. So I'm always able to dictate my engagement range in medium. See, I like I like that short range because there's always that option that if, if somebody rolls poorly on initiative, uh, you always have that chance to get in and get a good kick and knock the guy down, or or a punch if you happen to have some some arms that don't have weapons on them. Uh, I like I like the options of the, the melee attacks, uh, and I like it a lot because a lot of people aren't thinking of it that way when they're playing against me. So it's one of those things that I'm thinking about, but they aren't. Yeah, you can definitely use short range to your advantage if you're outplaying and outmaneuvering your opponent. Like that is where you will punish them for every mistake they make. Yeah, kicks are vicious. Just that, that chance <laughs> to knock them down almost every time. Forcing PSRs is a way to win the game, and kicking is one of those ways to force PSRs, if not the easiest. Especially, yes. especially as we talk about the shooting phase it's still easier to force a PSR by punching or kicking them. Yes. Dustin, Mr. AC2, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you cover why we should go into the long range? Uh, so keeping your enemy at arm's length, 
means you get punched. And when they're across the field, you can't get kicked or punched. But I mean, at that range, you probably only have one or two weapons that are in effect, are able to be fired at effect. So are we talking... I was talking, this is pre-C3 stuff, right? Yeah, we're yeah, we're, we're covering intro stuff right now, okay. mainly. So like, like we, we will mention a thing because we don't deny that everything else happens, but... Okay. Okay, so we're speaking about long range as far as like on the board, not... Yeah. Open. Oh, okay. I was confused. Okay. So yeah, uh, long range is great. Uh, getting a couple hits in before your opponent has closed the, the gap uh, just gives you the opportunity for those silly things to happen, like exploding mechs and falling mechs and pilots that get shot out of their cockpits. I want to be able to put a chance of damage on the table from turn one and going forward. So I like to have long range covered. Uh, typically, you'll always see me at the table with at least, well, actually a maximum of one fire support mech or something that is capable of hitting across the, the map. Yeah, you don't like wasting time. You want to apply damage yeah, as I'll, soon as you put mechs on the field. Exactly. I want to, you know, like I, like I said over and over again, the every time those dice roll, you know, the, the hit location could be a 2, could be a 12. And that's when the fun happens for me. Yeah, For me, that's just not enough reward for the risk of my bracket build mechs that have a lot of short or a lot of medium range weapons and like one or two long range. To me, it's just not advantageous enough to sit back and get that. Those are my turns that I like to be running and moving up as fast as I can. Yep, that's the problem I have with long ranges. If you don't have good blockers, if you don't have mechs that can get in the way and stop that advance, you get your 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 uh, support mech positions overrun much too quickly. So if you've if you've got a force that you've built around it, I can definitely see how it would work, but not a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, I always want to overcommit to fire support, and I have learned to keep myself under control. Uh, some early games I played, I definitely brought you know. Oh, I can bring two fire support mechs. No, bad. That's when we're talking lance on lance. That's too much. Yeah, um, let's not forget that blackjack has four medium lasers and two AC twos. Exactly, and I've yeah, and and one mech. How about point five fire support mechs? <laughs> no, I mean that's always something to have. It's having a bracket built mech is has its own advantage because in those cases where it needs to apply damage at long range, everybody is going to have an option. Like a Black Knight has a PPC, a Grasshopper has an LRM5. Those are just little extra things so you can always be rolling and always be hoping for a chance to hit. Yep, Shadowhawk can always pop into any range and, and help out somebody who just needs a little boost. But not a big boost. But not a big boost. <laughs> <laughs> the tiniest little boost. Okay. Yeah, I think... The biggest thing to remember is you have to find that middle ground for applying your damage. I mean, every mech is going to be different. If you look in, it's either Mega Mech or Solaris Skunk Works, you can actually see the optimum range versus damage, but you're always going to have to figure that out for yourself. It also, I guess, depends on the type of game you're playing. Like, I, I assume that we're just talking about building a building a lance and playing a game you know, with a friend. Uh, a lot of people like to play campaigns or pretend that they're a, a house unit or mercenary group 
and and half the fun with that is gathering a pool of mechs and then deciding what the best lance would be for the mission or situation you're about to go in with you know according to the pool that you have and not a well i've got infinite mechs of infinite and infinite money so i could just do whatever i want so trying to puzzle that into a to a more of a campaign setting i think is a is a very fun puzzle Oh, yeah, that's almost an entire metagame in itself. If you're playing with multiple people, I guess yeah. like a DM or something in a campaign. Um, for right. pickup games or take all comers list, you definitely have to build that and think about that in advance. Yes. But but it makes it harder because if you're doing pickup games and you don't know what the uh, the mission is, then you're definitely going to going to pick something more middle of the road. Uh, something that can that can handle many situations, but if you know what the mission is going to be ahead of time, then you can then you can really get some fine tuning in there to 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 do the best um, with infinite resources. Oh, definitely. Well, I know you've you've played at least one tournament, uh, <laughs> so you know how did you how did you handle the ranges and how did you think about that list you built for the, uh, the tournament? I felt I did really really well. Um, I, I made a few minor mistakes in that tournament. You did uh, beat me, though, so yeah, you were that, that has to count for something. I technically beat everybody I played against. I just, um, I, I had two very, very, very light mechs because I went super heavy with, I believe it was the Marauder 2, um, was my was my powerhouse, and then I had a Stinger and a Wasp to 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 just run around and be a and be a nuisance. Yeah, and I. I fainted with a stinger at the wrong moment and that got blown up and blowing up a whole mech gave you a lot of points, gave a lot of points to the opponent, even though, even though I did far more damage to his team, um, that, that one mech, uh, pushed him over the edge. I I think my, my Lance was okay, but I would hate to use that Lance in an actual campaign game, but for a tournament, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm not going to say it was min maxi, but <laughs> it was it was pretty darn close to min max. Like I I put so much into that uh, that Marauder too. Uh, I I gave him like a really good pilot and, and you know one of the best brawler assaults that I could find for the points that I had, and then I just I just put as little as possible into the the Stinger and the Wasp just so I could have. Yeah, I I pretty much min max that one, um, but Your but I'd never max- done that. I'd never ever done that before, and I wanted to see well how well would this work in a tournament, and when am I going to have a chance to play another tournament anytime soon? Hopefully after COVID, if I really hope so, because I had a lot of fun. But I've already I've already got some ideas over my next lance, and it will be far different. Um, so it's not. We'll probably have a tournament episode, so we probably don't want to spend forever oh. talking about the tournament. No, no, Denim will be back for the tournament episode. Oh, sweet, excellent. One of the biggest things in the shooting phase, though, is target priority. Is it shooting the easiest target versus the right target? So, Justin, what are some scenarios where you would shoot the higher movement mod mech? If I've got a lot of damage on an enemy mech, uh, I'm going to expect that opponent to start moving that mech away or getting higher mods on that mech to discourage me from finishing that firing platform off. But I am going to attempt in most of the games I play to put high priority on highly damaged mechs because if you can take a set of guns and fists and legs off of the field, 
that's going to put me at a numerical advantage. So I will try pretty hard to shoot at a, you know, a distant, <clears throat> the numerically inferior target uh, to get it off of the field. That's definitely one of the situations which I would shoot a mech with a higher mod. So once you smell blood, you're going after it. Yeah, you know, getting that distraction off of the field is a good idea, but keeping in mind uh, that sometimes it's not worth it and your opponent is going to understand, you know, there's a big game theory going on there and that's part of the game. Uh, Definitely which mechs to push, when to push them, when to pull them back, and what your opponent's going to be doing. Can, Can I use a a bloodied mech to get my opponents to overcommit and position poorly, you know. Uh, but if I feel relatively confident and in Battletech, nothing ever connects as much as you want it to. But if I can just, you know, really overcommit to that mech and I'm almost certain that I can get it down and put it down, I'm going to try to do that. What about you, Denim? Well, I I agree with uh, with what Dustin says. There's way too many opportunities. Um, if someone is only worried about hitting the easiest to hit mech, where you can ensure that that person is going to spread the damage over all of your mechs evenly, while you're focus firing each one of his mechs down, and very soon he will be drowned under under superior firepower. As as his mechs start to go down and yours don't, so um, I would say that uh, that yeah, you you cannot think oh I'm just going to fire at the easiest guy or you're going to to lose matches because of numbers. That that's how it's going to work. Um, also, it depends on what scenario you're playing as well. Because um, I know a lot of people just go well I'll do lance on lance and whichever lance remains at the end wins. But, but a lot of the most fun games I've had just have some sort of objective in them. There might be a high-value target. It might be a, a, you know, go scout this area or go loot that. And in which case, there are definitely mechs that you want to focus fire down no matter what uh, what the odds are of hitting it, as long as you have a chance of hitting it. Um, just because if you don't, you're going to lose no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully, Battletech's firing phase is simultaneous so you're never going to kill something before it can kill you but you might buy yourself a next turn um less you have hidden units oh ooh, we we're not even going to get into hidden units yet <laughs> uh, so josh is there like a a type of mech you would try to kill first so for me, I'm going to go like three steps beyond everything that we've ever said. And I'm going to say the psychological priority. So if my opponent has like a favorite mech or a, I don't want to say poster mech that he's like invested a little bit more emotion into, I'm going to try to find that and I'm going to try to kill that first to throw him off his game. Whoa. See, I, I have to disagree with you on that one. Um, I, I'm not about the psychological effect. I love that idea. That mech's really well painted. I'm going to blast it. Yeah. If if you can instead find out what his favorite mech is and then do something to just neutralize the mech where he can't do what he wants to do with it, even though it's, it's active and on the field, I think that's even more psychological damaging. Like always keep terrain between it and, and his sniper mech or always, you know, just, just find some way to find out what he's trying to do and and make sure that he can't do it while you are destroying his other mechs. Um, oh, I think if you could do that, that would be even worse. 
that's just like even more evil than me. <laughs> like me, I'll, I'll at least fight with you. You're like, no, no, I'm not even going to give you the pleasure of engaging <laughs> you. But, uh, but no, that is something that I think about a lot is like, okay, who's the spiritual leader of this lance? Who's the linchpin essentially that's holding it all together. And that's something you have to kind of take into account. So like in a regular lance comp, you got your light, your medium, your heavy, yeah, maybe well, another that, heavy or a support in the back. And that would, oops, sorry. You're fine. Um, that, that would be my brother. My brother always takes a hunchback and he's vicious with it. He is so deadly with it, but I just find that it infuriates him if he takes the hunchback and I always stay 10 hexes away. Like always, <laughs> no matter what he does, I'm always 10. And, and then he just starts charging and then it's easy to make, you know, him do what I want him to do. Um, uh, while while I'm destroying all the other objectives around the field. Yeah, I mean, normally that mech will he'll have the most knowledge using and using to good effect. So if you can throw him off your throw him off his game by either neutralizing it or damaging it enough that he's no longer able to put all of his hopes and dreams on that mech for that game, then he's normally going to normally going to use his other mechs to lesser effect, and that'll help me out. Yep, you've got to make it emotional, and you've got to make it personal. <laughs> this is combat, boys. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I can recall a particular game that um, you and I played, Josh. Uh, it was a city fight, and you had brought uh, three mechs I don't remember, because I remember the king crab. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I approached the game like I typically do. I kind of take the first target that presents itself numerically uh, like which mech can I land the most shots on and then I will focus that one down and those were all three of the wrong mechs because that king crab no matter what I did and I believe I either disabled or you know neutralized just about everything else but the king crab just laid waste constantly Um, so yeah misidentifying a priority target can definitely cost you a game could not agree more is there a priority mech for you no, I, I would say it always depends on on what's going on, um, and and the priority mech can change. But but I would say that that that's the key is identifying the priority mech and identifying why it's the priority mech. But I think I think neutralizing it does not always mean killing it. So um, there there is no mech that I will be just like oh I'm going after that one no matter what, and, and even if I lose this game because of it, at least I got that guy. Uh, I can say that no, there there is not a mech like that. So, Dustin, do you think you're getting trapped to deal the finishing blow? What advice would you give to new players that are might be playing someone with a little bit more experience? So, when you find yourself uh, kind of the victim of chasing a mech that's been damaged a bunch, your your opponent is going to know that you know numerically speaking, uh, you want to finish off a mech. Uh, if it's even remotely combat viable. And often they'll start baiting you with it and keeping kind of a situational awareness. Uh, you know, if you're playing a first-person shooter game or, you know, playing paintball or something else, there's this thing that people talk about It's and it's called situational awareness. And you want to take a step out of your tunnel vision for that mech, you know, every turn or throughout the turn and ask yourself, you know, am I playing smart? Am I playing into the opponents and their positioning? 
Um, and since we're talking about the firing phase, you know, am I overcommitting my firing to a mech that the opponent is hiding from me? You know, can I be making smarter decisions to turn the tide of this battle? No, I think that's excellent. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I would just call it keep your situational awareness, you know, for the game up. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say definitely that. Do not be afraid to to not fire one round if you know, and and maneuver. Take that time to to get into a better position. You know, look at the map, look where you can bring it so that his his advantages won't be as good um don't feel that you have to attack every single time you know position position is important one of my biggest things is after we've done the initiative phase and the movement and everything in which order am i going to shoot all of my weapons and which order am i going to shoot my mechs because it's all simultaneous firing what can there actually be advantage wise well it may be simultaneous firing but your weapons you know, you still get to choose the order in which the weapons hit uh, a mech. Um, and it is, I, I don't like doing absolutes, but I cannot think of a time where it would be better to hit with, with uh, the, the lower damaging weapons over the higher. So I'm going to say every single chance you get, if you're hitting with, say, um, a medium laser, a PPC, and three SRMs, you know, do the PPC first, then the medium laser, then the three SRMs, because it can be the difference between three or four critical chances or one critical chance. Yeah, after you've decided which mechs you're going to commit to, because declaring your targets is the first part of the firing phase, and you cannot change those targets uh, after you've declared them. So if you overcommit and you blow up the enemy mech and you've got all f- all your whole lance shooting on them and they blow up while the rest of the weapons are just, you know, wasted. And technically you're supposed to declare which weapons you're going to be firing as well. Uh, That is true. But I am going to agree with Denim on this one and say that this is one of the few areas in Battletech where there is an objectively correct answer. And it is shoot your highest damaging, your, your single grouped highest damaging weapons first to try to open up holes in armor. And then you follow up with your less damaging weapons to get those crits. I don't think there's any reason not to do it that way. That's my hot take. No, I I agree on that on a weapon per weapon basis, but on a mech basis. Yeah, on a mech basis, that that is more difficult because like there are times when you really want to focus fire a mech down, but if you happen to lucky kill him with the first mech that's firing at him, you know, those other mechs are still firing at that mech and you still have to count ammo off. So, you know, it's it's a it's a gamble. Um, I, I don't have any hard or fast rule that I like to follow with that. Uh, I just kind of, you know, how dangerous is this mech and, and what do I want to, what resources do I want to put forward to it in the, the hopes that I eliminated this turn or not? So that's a, that is a tough one. Uh, I, I do not know. Uh, what do you think about it, Josh? Like, how do you commit your mechs and their weapons? I like to break it down almost into like three parts. I like to break it down into my gambling, break it down into my bargaining, and then to my assured weapons. So if there's something like, hey, if this AC2 from across the map, through the trees, between the legs of an atlas, is going to hit that one cockpit and just win me the game, I'll take that first. I know it's wrong, but it can set up for the entire rest of the turn. 
it can completely change like 30 minutes of mental math. So I'm almost always going to put that first just to get it out of the way. So I'm not going to put that into my relied on shots. Then I'll go into my, what did I say? My bargaining. These are the things where I would like these to happen, but they're not guaranteed. These are like, okay, these are my more support mechs, like shooting LRMs that those are going to hit on like eights or nines, but I'm not, I haven't put those into my mental math to actually do damage. Those shots are still only going to be about 10% of my equation if I'm doing all of my movement and doing all of my target priorities right. And then I'm going to get down to my 90%, which is my relied on, okay, 60% of the time, these four medium lasers are going to hit. I can do the math in three turns. This target will be dead and I can move on. I like to get my gambling out of the way, then my my bargains, as I like to call them. And then I'm going to go to my old reliable and assured hits. I could see how that would be that would be cool, but it, it's almost like why not do the reliable? Oh, because you have to declare all the fire first. That's why I always always forget that because I'm like, well, why not go with the reliable first? And then you'll be like, oh, and then this guy can shoot at that guy instead, and you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, because it's all declared. Yep. yep. So yeah, I I I would have to say that in that situation, I agree that that would be a that would probably be the way that I would um that I would pick each mech in the order of of fire. And that's interesting for me. To hear your your kind of like your flowchart for target target priority. I I love flowcharts. Yeah, and for me personally, and uh, I don't know if this is the right way to think about it, but it's always the way I think about it. Um, mechs are a hundred percent more durable than you think they are, so I will almost <laughs> yes. always overcommit if I can guarantee or at least do the best job I can do at guaranteeing removing a target in a turn. I will. I'll overcommit. You know, if there's a <clears throat> a Clint sitting out in the middle of the field with low mods and I got good shots on him, yeah, I'm I'm sending everything at that 40 tonner with light armor because it might just survive. The the people I play with most because I mostly play with beginners. Uh, I mean, I I think my go to is just left to right. I will start at this side, and as I get to your mech, you you know, this is the mech that is firing. So go ahead and roll for for that one. Um, so it's uh it's the least uh mentally exhausting. Yes, it's the least mentally exhausting pattern that I could possibly come up with right to left. I've I've definitely done that too just hey in larger games or just games where the mental math doesn't need to matter as much. I know like almost everything's in the reliable bracket for me. I'll just work my way from either front to back or back to front. It doesn't matter at that point. Um only when it's like hey, if this medium laser hits this guy's exposed gyro then i can completely change like all right i need i can back down our weapons or something like that that's when you need to bring in the butterbee shotgun srms <laughs> so i guess that leads pretty well into our next segment which is is a heavy mech always more dangerous than a light mech weapon wise uh, i have an opinion <laughs> please please enlighten us sir <laughs> i mean uh, Sorry, sorry. I say 100%. Uh, All things being equal, 100%. um, There are situations when light mechs are the answer to your problem. But in general, there's, there's, I'd say, three things that can make a mech viable. Speed, armor, and firepower. And you can really only have two of three of those unless you play clan. If a light mech has the speed and armor that it needs to survive a fight... It's not going to have the weapons to be a real threat that you you know, have to deal with that light mech right then. 
Um, you can ignore him for a while while you take out real targets. But if it has the firepower, like a, a Hollander, you know, it's super slow or doesn't have any armor. So you're either going to hit it a lot or you only have to hit it once and it's it's disabled. But either way, unless that uh, light mech is there to complete a specific objective that plays to its strengths, I, in my opinion, say that a heavy mech will always be more of a threat and and you always have to pay more attention to it. When it comes to playing a competitive game, which is where battle value comes in, you know, a a stinger's ability to pick up an objective and get out is not calculated in the battle value because if you're using battle value in the first place, you're playing a balanced match game. Uh, and there's a reason assaults typically come in higher and heavies come in higher in BV than lights and mediums. Uh, you have to be really careful with your light and medium assets. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts? I always have to take it situationally. Uh, light mech in my rear is 10 times more dangerous than a heavy mech six hexes away in front of me. So that's not something I can take in a vacuum, almost. I mean, I agree if it's a Jenner, but I will ignore a stinger in my rear arc for, for days. Unless it's trying to kick you. and But but that I don't care if it's a lighter or a medium or a heavy. If it's trying to kick you, it's a problem because it can knock you down. Yep. That, that I agree with. You can trip an atlas with a stinger. It's <laughs> the I, and I have. It's a death from the side. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, this is a real thing. It's, uh, it's also, you have to look at it mission-wise. If the objective is just to kill the enemies for plus mechs, something that's behind you, which is zero hexes away, even with a plus three mod, could just be so much better target to, because you have weapons in your hands, you could turn around and shoot it with something that you probably might not get in range on the next turn. But it's it's like more dangerous isn't isn't just turn by turn you know it's it's throughout the rest of the mission what are your priorities so yeah it's it's find out what your priorities are but for for me 99 percent of the time the heavy mech is is going to be higher up on the list unless you know unless it's super situational and you're like okay this light is really bothering me i have to take care of him right now but uh but there are other things you can do with terrain to make it so that so that a light, even if it gets in your rear arc, isn't nearly as effective while you're dealing with other other threats. Yeah, yeah I would definitely say what is it? The two SRM six is that a javelin or javelin? Yeah. yeah, yeah, javelin. That is, in my opinion, a much scarier mech than an archer or something. You know, equal hexes away. Archer maybe catapult. I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, we'll we'll get to that catapult. You. I see what you're doing. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned terrain. That is probably a big thing that you have to keep in mind. And that's really just boils down to the situ- situational awareness that we talked right. about. Right. You can't just look at a map and say, oh, there's all this stuff in the way. How am I going to get over to to these mechs to do damage? You, you also have to say, how can I use this terrain to make sure they can't damage me the same way? Like, you've really got to look at it. So we talked about putting all of our eggs in one basket with auto cannons, the shorter range and the higher damage and the possible ammo explosion. So Dustin, you've talked about your AC twenties before. Yeah. Uh, AC 20 is a psychological weapon. Uh, you can remove a mech's head. Uh, nobody likes getting hit with an auto PSR gun and they, the AC 20 
you know, projects a threat bubble around it that most people take pretty seriously. Yeah, it's very much a crowd control. It's a don't come within X hexes of me. You pick that range, but I'm going to make you find out. Yeah, like Denim was talking about earlier in the game, the first thing you do when you see a Hunchback 4G on the field is you stay nine hexes away from it because then it can't touch you with the AC-20. Um, of course, like whenever I'm using an AC-20, everyone has that um, that that luck armor where if I need fives, I'm going to roll fours. If I need fours, I'm going to roll threes. So you know they're safe for me. <laughs> but for normal people, yes, dangerous. Yeah, personally, I would rather force, if my goal is to force a PSR, a pilot skill rating check, then I'd rather do multiple small damage rather than put all of my eggs in that one basket for that 20 damage roll. Yeah, and typically, I would rather bring a quartet of medium lasers on a target than an AC-20. The victor is, you know, like the one exception I make because it can typically get the AC-20 in range. I'm not a huge fan of the AC-20, I'd much rather have an AC-10 because of that. One roll and you miss 20 damage. You know, if you have six medium lasers, you're more likely to force that PSR. Well, you know, up up until, you know, quite a few years after the game was introduced, there were no weapons that could, that could take a head off. You know, there was no AC-20. There was no Gauss rifle. Uh, there were no ERPPCs. Um, the best you could do would be that PPC because it's the only one that could that could cause a crit if it hits you at the in the head. So that was like that was the dangerous thing was you know oh I got to hit the head with the PPC I have to roll a crit automatically. So that's why that's why PPCs were so you know so important back in the day. But um, I I still I'm going to agree with Josh I I think it's a better plan to not think about how you get to twenty points. As long as you get to 20 points at some point on, on the mech, you know, get them down on the ground, but don't think too hard about how you get there. Don't, don't depend on one weapon to get there. You know, if you need to do it, throw three or four times more damage downrange at them and hope that 20 points hit. Do you think that should be your goal in the shooting phase is to force the PSR almost before applying damage? Uh, it really depends if it's, once again, for me, it's, it's situational. What's the scenario? Are they trying to get somewhere? If so, you know, yeah, try and knock them down. But unless, unless there's a great need for him to go down, it's just nice to get them to get a mech prone. Uh, but it's not, it's not what I would call a super important goal every single turn. Yeah, no, for me, it's definitely, I will throw them on the ground to throw them off their game, but that's not the end goal. It it can be very frustrating. Uh, I from from the, the you know the wrong um, the wrong end of that. If I'm if I've got a plan in my head and suddenly I'm prone and I didn't mean to be, it definitely throws me off my game. Nobody likes to have a mech without a life alert. <laughs> yeah. When your mech gets prone, your whole I'm going to do this next turn and the turn after that gets thrown out the window, and you're on the back foot. Exactly, Dustin. For those of us who play, you know, two or three turns ahead, that that I have to start over. I have to start over. You just ruined my whole plan. We really can't talk about weapons without talking about heat and heat. when to get you guys hot. Play with heat. <laughs> I'm sorry. My literally favorite black favorite BattleTech meme is uh, Black Knight pilot after he alpha strikes three times. Bro, I'm straight up not having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I will I will ride that heat curve until it literally cooks me alive. As somebody as somebody who teaches people to play a lot, uh one of my things is the heat scale is there for a reason. Heat is definitely a resource in BattleTech, just like ammo, just like uh good maneuvering. You know, learn to use it. Um learn when not to use it. But but it's there for a reason, and if you're not using it, you're not playing BattleTech. Josh, how do you like to think about the heat scale? You mean, how do I like to heat my house at home in the winter? Like Denim said, I think of it as another resource, like my Black Knight, which is one of my, I'd say, most experienced mechs. So I don't want to say I've mastered it, but I know what it can do. And it can do way more damage with all of its weapons than it can cool, than it can sink in a turn. So I just have to look at that as, all right, how much damage do I want to do this turn? And then, okay, I'm going to take a penalty to movement and another penalty to shooting. But if I get closer or if I get that woods out of the way, then that's an extra plus one that I might have been dealing with that I don't have to deal with next turn. So if I'm doing that mental math, a turn in advance, that plus one could be there this turn and then not there the next turn. Yep, it's just layers on layers. When you uh, when you really start playing Battletech, you know, there there are a lot of things to think about and um, and it could really change your game. If forcing a PSR is what my goal is for that turn, I will risk all of my pilots cooking. And considering I don't run very ammo-intensive mechs, I'm not worried about ammo explosions normally. I'm really just worried about movement. But hopefully I've already set up the last couple turns, dictating the engagement ranges that I want, that I am where I want to be, and that that movement doesn't matter. So I've got... I can get, what, to like 9 heat before I'm really starting to worry about plus 1 to hit. At that point, your TSM kicks in. What's that, sir? This is 3025. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> the heat is there for a reason. Don't be afraid to use it. Exactly. That's my, that I stand by that. Now, if I'm, if I'm really worried about heat, I will try to find a nice position in like a small stream or lake if it's available. And I'll get that extra heat sinking from the water. And I am perfectly okay with becoming, as Dustin likes to refer to it, turret tech for a turn. Like my ideal, my ideal position, you know, is always like in a in a level two woods on a on a level three hill in partial cover, and I will just park a mech there all game long as long as I've got range. Um, but I don't know if it's better to have a to have a heavy woods to be standing in or like like a level one puddle, um, also giving me partial cover. That's a good question. Which one would be better? For my energy-based mechs, I'll take that uh, level one lake any day of the week. Which does still give you partial cover. It does. So, but it's only a it's only a minus one to, or a plus one to hit instead of a plus three to hit because that heavy woods with the partial cover given a plus three. You know. Oh yeah, it's nice. Look, some of us play on that new lunar map where there is no tree in about thirty thousand kilometers. There's also, no water on there. <laughs> Do you guys? You were talking about, you know, taking, you know, five heat and eight heat. Uh, we know that's your, you know, minus one movement plus one to hit. Um, do you guys, what do you think about the heat scale beyond that? I play, I play adders sometimes with clans. I know we're not talking about clans, but I will, I will go up uh, to shut down rolls if, if I think, um, if I think a mech needs to go down and I really want to alpha strike with everybody, if I want to focus fire to get that guy down, I have been known 
to risk everything and go way up on on the heat scale if I think that that mech is important enough for me to to be down for a turn or two, not being able to move or fire. That's, um, yeah, it's interesting. But it's, it's it's like just it's just above say alpha strike. Like I would do this, I would go up to twenty something on the heat scale before I would alpha strike. I'm sorry, not alpha strike, death from above. Death from above. I, I would say I would go up to 20 points on the heat scale before I would death from above. Wow. Yeah, see, I like to roll the dice with the AC2s across the uh, the field, but I play super conservatively on the heat scale. Um, I Basically, the heat scale for me personally doesn't exist past eight, and I don't like to go beyond four. Uh, and that's just conservative for me that's just but you you also don't believe in death from above either so yeah they're they're yeah ac2s and you know rolling twos and twelves that gets me going but you know death from above and risking ammo explosions and shutdown checks are just i think we need to play more dustin (laughs) (laughs) Um, so for me i have certain mechs that 30 is the limit like i will run that heat as far as it can because i don't care about your move and your hit modifier but there's others that if i take if i get even close to like two heat like just in case the opponent has inferno rounds or a flamer god forbid a flamer um (laughs) that's unacceptable for me like that mech cannot have heat if it has heat then it's gotta then i've either played it wrong or something bad has happened so it's a little more situational for you. Yeah, it's definitely more situational. Like I said, a Black Knight, I've literally gotten up to 20. If that was, yeah, if at that point in the battle when I'm at 20 heat with a Black Knight, if this was an anime, the opening you know, song would be playing because it's like the final round. I have to I have to admit that I have anime soundtracks going on a lot in my head when I play Battletech. <laughs> <laughs> it was a delayed reaction, but I'm glad someone else does it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like at that point, I'm literally imagining the mech like in its death throes, just pumping out lasers, auto guns, like everything that it has. The guy's leaning out the window and shooting his last <laughs> pistol. <laughs> but for something like my mongoose or something, no, that thing cannot. If that gets heat, it gets heat for one turn, and then I can't ever let it get heat again because I need to make sure that I can always move it as much as I need. But when I'm getting that Black Knight up to those high heats, I'm trying to pump out damage. And normally at that point, I'm fishing for criticals or I'm fishing for internal structure. I'm actually like, I've gotten through the armor. Now it's time to do the real, real damage. Yeah, nothing is worse, though, when, you, uh, when you've when you opened up an enemy mech and you just know that you are going to, to crit him and he's got so little left that any hits are going to just take him down and of course you fire alpha strike fire everything miss with everything shut down and then you know he just he just like kicks you to death and the the situation that denim just mentioned is why i always play conservatively if in my head i say to myself i can overheat my mech and guarantee a kill on that enemy mech it's not going to die and i'm going to be mad now, physical attacks are not affected by by heat based um, uh, attack modifiers, so you got to remember that too. If you're if you're really overheating, but you can get in close, you know, ignore the weapons. Just go in and punch them twice, and you're gonna your two hit numbers are gonna be way lower. Nice. Are you a punch twice or a kick once kind of guy? It depends. It really depends. In a situation where I'm overheating and stuff, I will punch twice. I will try for that headshot, especially if 
if they've already taking, taken a hit in the head. You know, if I can go for an insta-kill with the head, two chances, you know, that's great. But if, if he's relatively untouched, then I will almost always go for the kick because I want him on the ground where it's going to be easier for me to hit him. And don't forget that kicks are way easier to connect with. They are. They're easier and they do a lot more damage to one spot. Gosh, it's been a little while since I played, but they're minus two. They're minus two, and they do they do uh, your tonnage divided by uh, ten. Divided by five. No, yeah, your tonnage divided by five to one leg. And you force a PSR. Yep. Uh, but if you miss, then you have to take your own PSR. The old banana. Pew. Yep. All right, this is the personality test of the segment. When you imagine your mech kicking, is it kicking with the right leg or the left leg? Right leg. Oh, no, no. It's for, for me, it, I like... I'm one of those old school people who are so entranced by the, the by the idea of a neural helmet. You know, you've got your helmet on that interfaces with your brain to 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 take over the balance of this mech. Um, they, yeah, they're big and they're heavy and they're walking tanks, but they also move much more fluid than than I think a lot of uh, the books tend to portray. But certainly, way more fluid than 100 percent of the video games have ever made. Um, like. Like they are big, heavy, but they can kick. So I'm not saying they could do cartwheels or anything, but, but in my head, it is always something very dramatic. You know, it could be, um, it could be like a kick to the, you know, a straight kick to the sternum. It could be some sort of a roundhouse. Uh, it could be a, a back kick type of thing and right or left. It just depends on, on where they're standing in my head. So it's it's always it's always fluid. No, no, I love it. I love it. But but it's always pretty, especially if he misses. You know, if he misses, it could just not be a miss. It could be like the other mech blocked it and threw him off. Um, you know, it was something something like that. Uh, it, it there's just so many things that it could do in my head. I'm I'm a very visual, a very visual in my head person. Do you DM D and D? I do DM D and D. Yes. Why do you ask? <laughs> Josh, is it the right leg or the left leg? Ooh, for me, it's always the right leg. Okay. You plant with the left and you kick with your strong leg. <laughs> but you're in a giant robot. They're both strong. And the pilot is thinking, so he's going to plant with his non-dominant and kick with his dominant. In the Battletech universe, everybody's right. <laughs> Please, everybody's all right the left-handed people, you can email me and say that I'm wrong. I would love to hear the reasons why. Your other part of the personality test, are you a bubble top down or bubble from the bottom up or something else i believe i already mentioned this to you you start in the middle and you just spiral your way around oh god god no that would be horrible (laughs) (laughs) i Um, I think that is the only way that is unacceptable because being able to glance in an opponent's uh sheet and tell roughly you know like oh there's about 50 percent over there is nice yeah, I did most of my playing uh, in college, and, and we were all in like uh, the computer sciences. So math was was very easy for for a lot of us. And uh, one of our, one of our friends just he hated the bubbles, so he would take all of the sheets and, and just uh, photocopy master sheets. But he would he would uh, take white out on his master sheet and just white them all out and just put a line in each section, so you'd have the total number. Uh, you know amount of armor on the top line and then you just subtract underneath that and he would rather do the math and fill out any bubbles at all period what a monster he was very against it he was a numbers um, guy 
Yeah, very much. But uh, as as someone who teaches people out of the box set with you know with the game, I've got to do bubbles, and uh, and you know I show them top down. But really, I'll let them do whatever they want as long as they don't cheat. Don't take my bubbles away. I'll die on that hill. <laughs> no, no, the bubbles are way too popular. There is no way that those bubbles would ever disappear. It's what sets it apart from any other game I've personally played, and I haven't played a lot of them. Man, my, my SAT scores went up dramatically because I know how to fill in a bubble. Josh, you no top one. down or bottom up? Uh, I am color in. Like, I will literally take my marker and color into that bubble, like from the top of the picture of the mech and color it in. I don't I don't bubble in. I, I shade in the entirety of the space before the bubble. So you like uh, percents and volumes. Yes, I'm a volume <laughs> guy. That's exactly right. I have played with, uh, I don't remember who, but somebody that did bottom up. And I was like, that's not the way God intended. <laughs> Even though it's totally acceptable. I'm pretty sure I did that like my first day. Like I was like, I don't know where to bubble in. No one's ever <laughs> told me this. Bottom up works because that's closest to where my hand is right now. And then on the other side, I started bubbling from the top down. That's even worse. <laughs> and yes, I've seen that before. I've oh seen people God. do that. Where it's just like, uh, well, you know, this on the left torso, I went bottom up. On the on the right arm, I did bottom to, or top down, and it's just so confusing when you glance at their sheet to see what kind of damage they've got. You're like, I don't understand this. What's going I on? think we should do it heat map style, and like oh. you pick one and you radiate outward. Like that AC twenty, you pick one, you do nineteen in a circle going out. <laughs> <laughs> but if you hit there again, <laughs> if you over, if any of your circles overlap, that up instant crit. Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> so, Denim, we asked you on to talk about the shooting phase and weapons, but what we really brought you on for is to judge you by your four mech 3025 5K list. Ah, bring it on. Bring it on. I've got something to say about these mechs, though. Something that I found very interesting. So why don't you go over your list real quick? Sure. I'm going to start by saying that um, all four of these mechs are in the box set that I bought in the 80s, and they are still just as viable now, 30-some-odd years later, as they were then. And I don't know how many games that I can talk about that say, you know, after all the iterations that this game has gone through, that a a stat sheet from 30-something years ago still works. Like, no modifications, no changes. It just works. I don't know how many games could be said about that, but this is one of them. So the mechs that I chose are the uh, JR-7D Jenner um, with Inferno rounds for its SRM-4. The, um, my all-time favorite mech, the SDH-2H Shadowhawk, also with Inferno rounds for its SRM-2. The uh, classic CPLT-C1 Catapult with the two LRM-15s and four medium lasers. And the AWS-8Q Awesome with the three PPCs and the so-essential small laser. All right. So what do you love about this list? What I love is that uh, these these mechs are actually very, very, very good for beginner players. It's easy to to look at them and say, this mech is going to play this role. Um, and this mech will play this role. So it is a balanced lance that could be deployed for so many missions and still have a good chance of being viable. Um, 
because it's flexible, it can adapt to many different situations, and it has that also essential Shadowhawk that can fill any hole that uh, that there's a problem with. So um, Jenner is a fantastic scout. Uh, I cannot think of a better light mech that is still super dangerous. This is a mech that you do not want in your in your rear arc. If if you do, it is going to mess you up. Uh, the catapult is such a good. Uh, fire support mech. I mean, it's got the two LRM-15s that can rain damage down from from across the map. But if you come in close because, you know, you're like, well, I got to get under these missiles. It has four medium lasers and the, the heat sinks to fire them. And it will fire them in your face. And it can also jump. So it will, it will get position on you. Uh, it is tough to chase down. It is a tough mech. Um, it, is, it is one of the best fire supports I've ever seen. It's a great mech. And then the awesome is just awesome. It really is. It's got those three PPCs, and it's got the heat sinks to to fire them almost constantly. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, if if you don't like playing on the heat scale, um, as long as you fire it uh, three the first round, three the second round, two the third round, then you're back to heat neutral, and you don't even uh, uh, you don't even get you know a minus to your movement uh, to your movement rating. That's one of the cool things about the awesome is that it it's one of the few mechs that has like a very it has a tempo. Yeah, it does. It it, it does. If you're like, oh wait, did he fire three last time or only two? You know what? What's his heat at? <laughs> is that the dirty hairy PPC? <laughs> <laughs> yup. And I have won games with its small laser. Like it is that small laser in the head. You know, it's uh, you, you can't you can't forget about it. It helps. What you gonna do with that small laser? Oh. That's right. <laughs> That's right, but that Shadowhawk, that Shadowhawk is one of the worst designed mechs ever. But I love it so much, and in this lance, it actually fits because it's not a it's not a mech that can last on its own. Um, it's it's one of those jack of all trades that that can do a little bit of everything, but it sucks at all of them. But if the catapult needs just a little bit more long range missiles, it's there. Um, if that Jenner needs a, needs a, you know, somebody else with a medium laser and an SRM helping out, it's there. If that awesome needs someone to, uh, to flank with its, uh, um, with its auto cannon, I'm sorry, AC five back when I first built, it, it was just an auto cannon. You know, it can, it can do all the little support things and it's got enough armor that, uh, that it can, it can handle, you know, scrapping it up. It's a scrappy little mech, um, that it, it just, it just moves around now. Okay. Granted. If if I really want to win with this lance, I will swap that Shadowhawk out for a WVR six R Wolverine. Um, by far a superior mech, same weight class, same armor. Uh, its weapons are just way more efficient. More jump jets um, too. Now that one I will not put Inferno's in that SRM six. I will keep that as an SRM six. But the other ones, when you give them Inferno's, they are just that much scarier. Is there a SRM size that you will not put? Inferno rounds in? I tend not to put it in sixes. Um, it used to be back 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 when this game began, very, very few rules have changed since then. Uh, partial cover has been changed. Um, uh, punches and kicks have changed. And the fact that uh, it used to be that Infernos could only go in SRM2s, period. But now that you can put Infernos in any launcher, I will put them in like every single SRM two that I that I have, I will put them probably in seventy five percent of the SRM fours. Um, but SRM sixes, 
I would say 75% of those I will keep non-inferno rounds and only only rarely put them in uh, in an SRM6. Um, it just, you know, 12 points of damage scattered about is more important to me than than a little bit of heat. I will say this list just seems much more backline or midline. It doesn't seem to be very brawly. Uh, no, it depends on how much uh, how much that awesome attracts the attention. Like that's the the awesome is the, is the the key point of this lance. People are going to see that awesome as a threat, and he is like he is a threat. He is, but the more threatening thing is what the other mechs do to the people who are either trying to avoid or surround or focus fire the awesome. So, yeah, it's it, it's a it's like a chess. Uh, uh, a chessboard lance where where you really have to look at what's going on and you have to deploy your pieces better. You can't just say, okay, everybody charge, you know, a move over there and and kill those guys. You know, you've got to you've got to think about it. You know, where is this catapult going to be the best? How what role is my shadowhawk going to going to play in this battle? And you know, when can I get my Jenner in somebody's rear arc? And more importantly, how can I overheat somebody with those inferno rounds? Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely not a beginner list. This is definitely one that takes practice. Beginner mechs, but not a beginner lance, yes. I like that you got one of each. Light, medium, heavy assault. Yeah, I figured for this for this it was a it was a good way to do it. I mean, it's the perfect lance comp in in the holy book of lances. Thou shalt have one light, one medium, <laughs> one heavy, and one assault. When your mercenary company only has four mechs, you want one of each. Yes, you know. Once you get to once you get to twelve mechs, then you can start saying, "Okay, well, this is a this is a medium lance. This is my assault lance." But uh, until you get up to that point, you know, yeah, you, you're going to have to put them all in one basket. Do you think there are some either maps slash terrain that this that this list would not do well on? Yeah, anything that doesn't let the awesome have range with this PPCs, anything like like heavy dense forest, uh, hills with too many trees, so really busy and tall cities, cities. It would not do as well in a city, I, I would say. So yeah, to be fair, I I think most mechs don't do well in cities. Besides, the, 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 see the hunchback, the uh, the uh, <laughs> urban mech. Um, I would argue. Um, that this outside of the awesome, this list is actually pretty good for a city fight because uh, everything's got jump jets. That's true. That's true. The mobility is is key. Um, so I guess you could take out the awesome and put it in Victor, and then your your city your city ready. No, I love it. I mean, you get those nice firing lanes down some streets, and those LRMs yeah. will make the enemy pay. Indirect fire because you know the Shadow Hawk if he's uh, if he's not doing anything else, he can spot for for missiles. Dustin, anything to add? Yeah, yeah. Tell me how bad my lance is, Dustin. No, I like it. I see 1.5 fire support mechs, which is which you love. my <laughs> list construction rules, but that's just me. Yeah, for me, it's there's too many missiles. That's too many ammo explosions for me. <laughs> oh, that Shadowhawk, once again, it has ammo in all three torso locations. So it doesn't matter what, where he's getting hit; he's got ammo. I think there. the only way the Shadowhawk could take more ammo is if you slapped a machine gun on it. You have LRM ammo, you have SRM ammo, you have AC ammo. It's it's ridiculous. And then you need to split that machine gun ammo so you can put like a hundred points in each leg. That's what you need. 
I would actually enjoy a Shadowhawk 2H more if it did have a single machine gun in the arm. <laughs> I don't like machine guns so much, though. Like, it's got the infernal rounds for infantry, so... Oh, yeah. That's true. Somewhere on some periphery world, someone has taken out that SRM-2 and put in a machine gun with a, oh, whole, I guarantee case, a whole ton of ammo. I guarantee. I think. I think my love of Shadowhawk came from you know when when I started playing. There there was no clan invasion. Uh, we were we were uh, just finishing the third succession war and just about going to fourth. So technology was at an all time low. You know, mechs weren't there. weren't battalions of mechs. Nobody had seen a battalion of mechs that just didn't exist. You had a lot of um, a lot of tanks, a lot of armor, you had a lot of infantry, and you had a handful of mechs. Like getting a lance of mechs was a big deal so one mech um what was devastating and, and if he could do a little bit of everything then then he was a very valuable asset uh to supporting an army a king at the battlefield exactly so you know a shadow hawk you know you've got you check off all the boxes if he wants to stand back and shoot missiles um or lay a lay an lrm minefield or something like that he can do it um if if he wants to jump around in there with his uh with his auto cannon and his medium laser, he can do that. You know, infantry start coming. He's got the uh, the Inferno SRM to to take care of those. Um, he he wasn't great at anything, but he didn't have to be because he was a mech, so he was already better than everything else. Um, but now that you've got battalions and regiments of mechs, you know that the Shadowhawk just there's too many other mechs that that do whatever job he's trying to do better. And when you've got hundreds of mechs to choose from, you know, yeah, just just choose a better one. I'm never going to turn down a free Shadowhawk if it's ever offered to me. Like, is it the best option? No. But like you said, it's still a mech and it's still better than a lot of other things. Yes. There's going to be no dispossessed that turns down a Shadowhawk. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And so I think we'll wrap it up. Is there anything anyone wants to say? I just want to say thank you very much for this opportunity to uh, to join in the, the podcast. I really enjoyed it. And um and uh, you, you said that you've got some other ones in mind later that uh, that you would like me on for, and I I will uh, I look forward to that very much. Definitely, and we definitely look forward to having you on for your pick your brain, pick your catalyst development team knowledge, and just to pick your experience in the game. Well, well, thank you. I very much look forward to it. Denim, Dustin, thanks again for letting us get a glimpse into your trove of battle technology. Also, I'd like to thank everyone for listening today, and I hope to see you all out on the tables as soon as it's safe. If you have any questions, you can email us at themechbaypodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook at The Mech Bay Podcast.